Setup. I'm Chris Grace. I'm John Accardo. And it is Wednesday, April 10th, 2019. This is the earliest we've ever recorded. It's yes. like the crack of dawn. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's the earliest. I'm so tired. This is a, a generous uh, definition of crack of dawn. It's, this is super early. Uh, yeah, it's 11 a.m. <laughs> that's, exactly, that's exactly what I said. <laughs> um, I'm adjusting levels. Uh, I, I'm probably going to try to... Uh, Sort this deck into mnemonica while we do this podcast. Okay, I've not. I don't know what that is. Um, yes. Yeah. People should know it. Didn't <laughs> we talk about it last time? Wait. Give me. Give me a number. Twenty-two. Twenty-two. Eight of spades. Yeah. That's hey, right. look at me. A friend of mine, uh, Justin uh, Zell from Pittsburgh. Yes. Messaged me saying that he's also working on it. Cool. Um, so, and it seems actually like I, I showed you before uh, a deck of cards from uh, Penguin that comes in. Uh, Th- uh, that particular stack uh, out of the what do you call it wrapper mm-hmm. seems like they're kind of getting on board with pushing it more widely. I mean, it seems like a wide thing already, Mnemonica, but yeah, it's very popular. Uh, mo- out of ten magicians that you meet, how many of them know the stack? Six. Oh, five, four, <laughs> three, it, two. They're, they're dying off as a <laughs> right. I'm killing them all. Um, the uh, I in fact, and it's also a generational thing. Uh, uh-huh. Younger people tend to learn it more generally. That's not, you know, not saying I haven't met an older person learn mnemonica, but yeah. And maybe like uh, t- uh, if you meet 10 Spanish magicians, right? probably 11. 11 of them. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me ask you this question then about your studies. I just learned it through an app. Um, one of the apps you can download online, it's like a little game. I think mine is called Ultimate Mnemonica Trainer. I have that app as well. There is another one that is a different type of game uh, that Shoot has as well. He downloaded it actually after learning the Monica, and that's the one he practices on now. I do not have that one. I can't remember what it's called at the moment. But he likes that. Uh, but So anyway, I learned exclusively through that app, which was I for me was perfect, the way to learn it. You then supplemented that app with a system a memory yeah, we system talked, i think we talked about the rick lax mnemonica yes. trainer from penguin right my question for you is how do you like that how do you like the two of them next to each other here's let me give you some context for why i'm asking robert learned his stack from the mem- a very popular memory arts book memory arts i've not read that book he described the system to me three or four times i still don't totally get it i think it's one of those things you have to read and learn yeah it sounds not totally unlike th- what you're doing um, I, I see. I guess there are they are different, but there there are also some a lot of similarities. Um, yeah, it, the similar the similarity part is that they both try to create these like little stories mm-hmm. that go with each part to help you remember. Um, and the stories are dumb and right. like kind of not great, but they are supposed to be kind of vivid in a way that you visually remember them. Um, well, my question about that, and this is why I ask about how you think, how effective you think these are, is yeah. because for a while, now granted, he did not keep up with it, and I think ultimately he then sort of uh, forgot Mnemonica, because um, uh, it just kind of wasn't, he had so many other things he was sort of working on that wasn't really at the forefront of his mind, for good reason, he had a lot of, a lot of important stuff, but he, he was able to do this system to when I said a number or a card, he could tell me the opposite. And if I said a number, he could tell me the card and vice versa. But he had trouble doing the sequence. Like he couldn't rattle off the sequence of one to 52. He can do like one, two, three, four. And 
I was able to do that quicker right. because I did not have this system. I just had the app itself. Yeah. Um, and so because I didn't have a system, I, I really did just learn the card to the numbers and the numbers to the cards. Yeah. And I, I think for me personally, oh, not but to shit on the you system, missed out on a lot of good stories. A lot of wacky stories. Yeah. Uh, I, I feel for me, not speaking for everyone, just for me, I felt that this was the most effective way for me to learn it because it was the way that forced me... Um, to uh to to learn both the sequence of the cards and just the order yeah or, and, and the actual um cards through the numbers and i and i felt some of the times when i see people with these these mnemonic things you think less of them not that yeah, <laughs> yes uh those idiots but but like a friend a friend of mine tried to learn mnemonic and you know and, and the the flip side of that is a friend of mine about a year two years ago tried to learn mnemonic and they just would stack the deck, and they just try to memorize the sequence. Yeah, which is effective to some degree, but you, that that also per, uh, inhibits your ability to know. Like I couldn't say twenty two, and you say eight of spades. They would have to count. They have to go one, two, four clubs towards. Right, right, right. They would have to do it. Um, Pitt Hartling talks about that in one of his routines, and it's in a Dennis. Uh, yeah, it's in a Pitt Hartling uh, routine that he performs, and it's in his first book, Card Fictions. Uh, where he's doing this memory routine for an audience, and he goes, um, I'm going to memorize the whole sequence of the card. And so he memorizes <laughs> the sequence of the cards, uh-huh. and then he's able to like rattle off some information. He goes, but that's just knowing the sequence. We can all learn a sequence. Uh-huh. And then he goes, and he says to the audience, he says, for instance, you can all say the alphabet A to Z like right. that. However, if I were to say what's the 17th letter, you wouldn't be able to do it probably. Right. 17th letter is Q. But uh, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> But uh, I did. I did have to count and figure that out. So. <laughs> but he makes a good point, and so I think that's the. Those are the kind of things I'm interested in seeing how people learn, or are unable to learn. So this friend of mine was unable to do that. The what is the seventeenth card? Because they just knew the sequence, and, uh, whereas with these with this memory system, Robert was unable to do the sequence, and he kind of just was able to me- do the system to right. assign a card to a number. We should clarify this other friend you're talking about is Robert Joby. Right, Roberto Joby. Roberto Joby yeah, couldn't uh, couldn't do any. Of these. No, yes. no, he's terrible at magic. Uh, I think that first, I th- I imagine that it's um, if you know the the way your brain learns, that it's probably different for people. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the brute force met- method of just learning the sequence is something that I initially tried. I tried using just the app, um, but it might have been less applicable to me because I don't really have any like working use for it at the moment especially when i was doing that because i wasn't doing any tricks that sure used it. and and to and to my benefit i was also in a a time a, a place and time and setting where it was very conducive to learn it i yeah. was on my first tour with shoot and he was he, he had just really gotten into it and was lecturing on it and he'd built these routines around it and he's very excited about it and he loved talking about it and the possibilities so i'm with him just stranded with him for five weeks Without really any other responsibilities, so and especially every single night he gives a two hour, two and a half hour lecture, and I just sit in the back, and so right. I would just sit there and do it. So I had plenty of time to just sit and commit time to learning it, and also sort of a pressure to want to be able to engage with him about this and right. not being able to. So I learned it in about fifteen days. So this is the equivalent of like when my husband Eric, when we did uh, the Voldemort Harry Potter show last year, he watched all the Harry Potter movies in a weekend. Had he not seen them before? No, and he regretted watching. <laughs> What? Eric! <laughs> Eric, come here! I actually don't love... I like the third one the most. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
Well, you're, if you're tuning in, um, this is the final episode the final of the podcast. Episode. We had a great time this with the, the setup. But it's the first episode of Mnemonica Talk. <laughs> this is the first episode of Harry Potter and Why We Love It uh, by John Accardo and nobody else. Well, I was going to... The, the funny thing is, this is the first book that I ever got about a memorized stack. Okay. This is Patrick Redford's uh, Temporarily Out of Order. Not familiar with And it. the reason I got this was... There's so many books. Well... Yeah, and also the there's so many things that I will never learn, including this. Um, because when I was first reading about memorized stacks, it might have been even Magic Cafe where people were like, "Oh no, I think it was on Reddit," but people were like, "I like this stack, I like this stack," and I was kind of just like, "Well, I'll just pick one." And I might have even seen a video with this guy where he was like, "This stack's the best," um, and I don't really know what the, I still don't exactly know what the benefits are, but I'll read you a couple of the benefits of the Redford stack. And you tell me if that means anything to you at all. Uh, you can get into the Redford stack very quickly from any shuffled arrangement. Okay. You can get into the Redford stack from new deck order quickly and efficiently. You don't need to have memorized the Redford stack to get in and out of it. There's no need to have a cheat sheet to set it up before learning the order. Sounds like a system more than it is a stack. Uh, it's sort of, I believe, in between a stack and a like Cy Stebbins style. Yeah, Woody style. Aragon in his book. Because Woody Aragon he has, has his own, own too. He has his own, own stack, which kind of bummed me out because I love Woody Aragon and I love all of his material. And so when someone gave me that book to take a look at, I don't, I don't own it. I might still buy it. Uh-huh. I didn't realize that he had his own stack in it. And so he goes, hey, just so you know, 60% of the magic in this book, maybe about half the magic in this book, requires my stack. I'm like, fuck, I just learned my, I just learned Monica. Like, right. It was like two weeks after I learned Monica. And I was so excited <laughs> to have his great I really book. hope out loud you had that tone. Oh, man. Oh, man. And everyone's like, you are in the library. <laughs> um, but he made an interesting point where he says the uh, there is like a scale uh, trade-off of stack decks for how shuffled they look when you spread them uh-huh. versus how practical they are. Okay. So the more shuffled they look, the less you'll be able to do with them um, using the actual uh, qualities, uh, the actual um, yeah, quality of the stack. Okay. Or the um, uh, characteristics of the stack, I mean. You mean uh, you like literally can't do certain things or it's just harder? Uh, I think he meant you can't. Well, for instance, like a size seven stack is more of a system, really. Right. You cannot show those cards shuffled. Uh, uh, you can't really spread those cards because it's, it's easy so, to tell it's what so the system is. so black, red, black, red. Right. It's so easy to tell what the system is. Yeah. However, there's lots and lots of things mathematically that you can do that that stack, uh, that, that system allows you to do. Mm-hmm. So he goes, there's a trade off. The more shuffled you want the cards to look, the less you're able to do with the actual characteristics of what that stack uh, does. Interesting. And where does his stack land in that? Um, I think his lands a little bit more on the shuffled side. I can't exactly remember. He, um, again, this is just going off his description in the foreword of his book. Uh, I haven't delved too deeply into the too deeply into the stack itself. Uh-huh. Um, before we go on, you briefly mentioned uh, being on tour with Shoot. Yes. Uh, anything fun happen? <laughs> I know we talked about the tour a little we bit. We talked a little bit last week. There's, I mean, so much... so. Uh, much to unpack. A lot, a lot of stuff happened. Well, one thing that happened was I think shoot. The reason shoot tends to bring his students, um, or or you know, um, friends on these tours, his peers, his peers, right? Uh, is because one of the things is for those of us who are younger who work with him and work for him. One of the things he tries to offer, and I think this is sort of a uh, you've said it before on the podcast, so I don't feel uncomfortable saying it. Sort of an Asian kind of style of teaching, uh-huh. where an ex- experience. Where an hour later, you got to get another lesson. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I just was. Uh, <laughs> side note: I got these. Uh, oh my god! Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Sorry. Um, uh, I got these lecture notes or like a, I don't even what you call it. They're not lecture notes. <laughs> very, it seems very common in the history of magic for magicians to start their own little magazine. Really? Yeah. There's, there's so many, like the, the jinx is one, um, this other one. So there's one called precursor that I bought a couple of, um, and they're cool. Like it's basically like it's just in the eighties and nineties where it's like I'm going to type up my own paper magazine and sell it to you, and it has like like uh, who is Nick Trust? Trust? Have you heard that name? I've not. Uh, anyway, Ed Marlowe like suggest su- submitted stuff to this little magazine, but the guy in the spaces it's called Precursor in the space when the when an article ends and there's space left on the uh, page, he'll put in he'll type in jokes, and one of them was. Uh, have you seen the Oriental Magician? Oh no! An hour later, you have to see his show again. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, um, oh no, that's only funny when you say it. <laughs> you were talking about like sort of an Asian mentorship, uh, right? So I think yeah. a big thing for him is experience, and you know, how do you use this? How do you use the skills on these tours? Not just to learn how to do your own tour in the future if you want to do it, but also how to use it to improve your magic. Uh-huh. Sort of the discipline, the preciseness of the things he does. He talked about that on. Oh, oh, oh that, I don't think we've announced this. I. I did do a short interview with him on one of the trains early on in the tour. Uh-huh. It's about 40 or so minutes, uh, maybe a little less because we had to stop a few times because I kept making train announcements that were interrupting, so we have to wait. And there was a funny thing that happened during the train announcement. Anyway, so we will release that as a bonus episode on a Friday or something, so cool. listen to that. Um, very excited. Um, and uh, that is the most Shudogawa conversation I've ever had in my life. <laughs> uh, at one point, I asked him to talk about something, and he goes, no. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway... That's funny. So, uh, so yeah. So he one of the things you, um, but yeah, you talked about that a little bit with me, like the idea of making these DVDs where we're putting the disc in the box and then the sleeve in the thing. Even learning to do that precisely and exact and uh, efficiently, he goes. I also want you to be able to take that sort of precise skill and then incorporate that into your magic and sort of make your magic a little bit stronger. So th- those are the kind of things he really likes to impart. Right. When he brings younger. That's where the Scotland show is going to be. Just thirty minutes of you putting DVDs into cases. And you say that as if there's not precedent for weird shit like oh, that. Oh, there absolutely Fringe. is. Yeah, Edinburgh Fringe. I mean, that'd be a great show. Uh, right. I hope Gamar Jobot is there. Right. And then I hope Snap is there. And then you can put their dvd <laughs> like it's funny uh it it does show that the uh karate kid isn't totally like coming out of the blue with that i mean in a way you what could you be mean? a ralph young ralph macho doing wax on wax off oh, right. except it's putting dvds in the case yeah there's a, a wax on wax off quality there there uh, there's some white kids did beat me up <laughs> yeah exactly um and so one of the things the, it's you're talking about the discipline and the, the um like the rigor of just doing doing a task well. Right. Well more so that his purpose of taking me isn't like you're you know, you're here to do everything I ask. It's also sort of a let me teach you kind of how this goes goes. And there's been lots and lots of things that I have learned over the two tours I've done that I would not have known before. The uh-huh. way he um the way he keeps track of the money we're making is very, very, very efficient. And oh. I would never have thought of something like that. It involves um, not just writing down because basically we have these suitcases full of products that are broken down because we don't have the space to carry over DVD cases. Mm-hmm. So we're constantly finding DVD cases and then we have these folders with paper sleeves in them and then these um, bulk of discs in our suitcases. So a lot of the uh, the afternoon is making the DVDs for that night or finding DVD cases at a tech shop or something mm-hmm. which is getting harder and harder to do as the years go on and making the DVDs. So then once we make the DVDs, 
what I do is it was my job to I would um, not just write down how many and we would make one suitcase to bring the lecture so like 10 of each DVD or 7 of one that's not super popular or 13 of one that has been selling really well something mm-hmm. like that not only do I have to write it down but uh, well actually I d- didn't end up writing it down what I do is instead of just writing it down it was my job to take my phone and videotape the suitcase and count through them on tape so that what he could do late and then as soon as the lecture was done when we got back my first job was to reopen the suitcase reorganize it and then film again to see how much of everything was left uh-huh. he would then put on his headphones and he would make an excel spreadsheet with every single product how much we had before how much we had after and then if there were any discounts or there were any weird sort of things and then and then he would compare that to the actual cash that i had from the sales to make sure they lined up and if there was like 10 euros off he'd be like okay so we're 10 euros off is there a chance that um someone didn't pay enough is there a chance that you forgot that you gave a discount to someone something like that mm-hmm. i would never ever have thought to do something like that i would just sort of you know put the cash in my pocket and sort of be on my way right um or at the very least i would maybe you know i would put some system in place but i never would have thought to do something like that here's another fun tip if you're traveling i you know i never really articulated this tip but always do your zippers of your uh, suitcases so they're at the top of the suitcase so uh-huh. that way at the airport if there's too if it's too heavy you don't have to put the suitcase outside <laughs> to open it you can just open it's it from a very the top. good tip just a little just little things like that you're like oh shit i never would have come up with that on my own um, um i would like to shout out to taylor hughes who recently posted a photo of his bag being like exactly 50.0 right. pounds that's right uh, are you good at that no, in fact, my suitcase was overweight when I t- went to Spain. Ah. Um, we flew Iberia Airlines. I flew Iberia Airlines. He came from Japan, uh-huh. and we met in Belgium, and I came from L.A. So he, I don't know what airline he flew, but I flew Iberia, and his travel agent booked my um, flight for me. So I was just sent my information. So I didn't really know. So I brought two suitcases, which is the norm. And then so I go, I'm checking these two big suitcases, and she goes, okay, uh, two suitcases. She goes, uh, so that'll be two hundred and sixty dollars. <laughs> uh, she goes, yeah, your ticket doesn't include bags. They they chose to not pay for the option for you to check in two bags, uh, thinking that it might be cheaper just to like pay the fee here. She goes, unfortunately, that is rarely the case because the first bag is sixty, and then the second bag is two hundred. And I went. Oh, boy. <laughs> so then when I put this suitcase on the scale, one of them was underweight and one of them was like two pounds overweight. Oh. And she looked at me and she was like, it's fine. Oh, she just really? So she, cause she knew that she had just sprung a $260 charge on me. Right. And so she was cool. So shout out to the lady from Iberia Airlines <laughs> at LAX, Tom Bradley International Terminal. Um, You're the real MVP. So... Uh, anyway, so these are the kind of things he learned. And so one of the things was he always thought I was not vigilant enough, which is probably true to some extent. I like to think I was vigilant enough. He would disagree with that with when it comes to crime. Um, shoot has been robbed before. Uh, he has many stories of friends being pickpocketed and robbed on tours. Good uh, Lord. Um, and so he was incredibly, incredibly vigilant of that always. Huh. And that's why one of these reasons this tour was so stressful for, I would say him especially because he was always super on guard uh-huh. he would never put his guard down when we were out in public so we're, it's not like in the uk where we were driving we had our own little car we would unpack from the car go to our hotel in the small town put the bags back in the car and then drive to the next town we were always constantly in public spaces because we were taking the train everywhere uh-huh. so there was never time for him to relax which is fair and um 
So, but he was always saying, like, you're not, uh, he was always telling me I wasn't vigilant enough. And right. he was always telling me different ways people steal things. And so anytime I was sitting, he's like, you know, you're actually kind of vulnerable because you're doing this wrong. <laughs> oh. And I was like, I don't know. I think it's, you know, and I was, I was always just kind of say, yeah, you're probably right. And I would just do what he said. You know, like, for instance, one time we were out in this park in the middle, kind of out in the open, in the middle of a town. The town was called Nantes. And uh, I was sitting, we were sitting on a bench eating lunch. And I had my backpack, and my backpack was between my knees, under my legs. Uh-huh. And so I'm sitting there, and we're sitting on a bench. There's not really anyone around, and it's a fairly open area. Um, there's some families walking by, but that's kind of it. Like, there's a family with a stroller walking in front of us. And he leaned over, and he goes, you know, sometimes kids will uh, reach under the bench and pull the backpack out from under your legs, and they're running. then they'll run, and it's, it's gone. Uh-huh. And I'm like, yeah. And so I just picked up the backpack and put it on the bench next to me. A lot of stuff like that. He was always saying, like, you're not careful enough. He didn't never say that, but he was, you know, telling me to be more and more, more and more careful. Um, and I always had a little bit more trust in the yeah place we were in. That was kind of the dynamic. But yeah. you haven't been robbed before. I have not been robbed before. So, um, so if anything, your philosophy is probably right. Because your tracker record, record is better than this. No, shoot, whatever you're doing is wrong. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm doing great. So anyway, so the, the second to last day we were there, every day we ha- would have to go to a train station and buy our ticket for the next location. We had our schedule planned out, and we had these like global uh, Eurail passes, mm-hmm. which we still had to go to a train station. You still have to go secure a specific We still had to go spe- secure a specific spot. What those passes allowed us was we had we spent a lot of money on these first class train pa- passes. Um, what those allowed us was that anytime we bought a first class ticket on a train, instead of it being ninety euros each, it was like fifteen or ten. Hey. So that's what that did. And so we would show up like the day before, or two days before, and we'd try to buy our tickets for as many days in advance as we could. So we're doing that. We are in Paris the morning um, of our lecture in Paris. Uh, that was the second time we were in Paris. We were staying in Paris, but they actually drove us an hour out of town to like near where Versailles is, a little mm. um, southwest of Versailles. And so, uh, so we're at the train station. You have to show your passport. You have to show me your rail pass. And I also have a couple old tickets. And so I set my old tickets down on the counter, and my passport's on top. I show her my passport. I set it down. I also show her my rail pass. And I set my rail pass off to the side because it's one of those little things where like you have a, a, a counter that's like uh-huh. a, a foot lower than the counter she's sitting at. You know, oh, okay. Uh, but they're connected. Um, How so, does she get the stuff? Is uh, there... There's no glass or anything. Oh, oh, it's an okay, open right. table. It's just like if the table we're sitting at had about six inches for me and then uh, uh, went up like a foot where you were sitting. Right. That, that's kind of it. I mean, we're still standing eye level to each other. Right. That's what, what her desk was. So my old ticket and my passport are sitting on my smaller desk. And they're sitting there as I'm talking to this lady and she's standing next to me. And then my Eurail pass sitting on the slightly taller desk. So I'm going to show you, let's say... That uh, this deck of cards, uh-huh. hold on. Let's say this deck of cards were my passport, right? And let's say, can I use this? Sure. Let's say that this were my Eurail pass. He's using my actual Eurail pass that right. I happen to have with uh, me. I don't know why you haven't used that. These are very expensive. Uh, um, I just got I like to feel um, like a cosmopolitan. Right. So uh, so let's say, yeah, like, this is my old ticket. Uh, let's say this is my passport, and it's sort of sitting on top of some documents, this, like, little wallet uh-huh. as the passport and you start like sitting on some What's, so john is arranging a bunch of objects on the table right so there's a couple cards also could, a letter from a prisoner right about how he couldn't do magic <laughs> without a passport inside prison right <laughs> so uh so he asks a question about my Eurail pass uh so he reaches over oh, hold on sorry she oh d- that was a good move i thought you, you did that on purpose no 
<laughs> that you. looked like a genuine like anyway, uh, um, con man distract knock card off the table. So I, uh, no, so I picked that. He picked that back up, and as you can see, what has been designated as my passport has now gone off the table. Oh, so it wasn't move. Oh, it wasn't. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't. Oh. Move. So he reaches forward for my pa- my Eurail pass. He knocks it off the table, and he goes, "Oh, sorry." I bend over to pick it up, not realizing he's stolen my passport. Uh huh. And then so we, so I go back, I hand it to him, and he reads it, um, and then he puts it back down on the table. Anyway, so we're just sitting there, and I do not notice my passport is gone. So we're talking to this lady. We buy the train tickets. Uh, I put I put in my pocket, put my rail pass in my pocket. I pick up what's on the table, which is my train tickets, assuming that my passport is already I put already put it back in my pocket. Right. So now the moment we walk away, I'm checking for it, and it's. I can't. I'm like, oh, hold on, wait. And so I turn around to go look at it to see if I left it on the table, and he's holding it. And he's like, "You see?" <laughs> <laughs> so he stole my passport to prove a point about. Uh, I mean, the dangers of being. And he goes, "That's exactly what happened to Lu Chen. Lu Chen uh, is a famous Chinese TV magician. Uh-huh. He was Lu Chen was in L.A. Uh, someone knocked something over of his. He bent over, picked it up. Passport was gone. Had to spend two thousand dollars to get another passport to go back to L.A. I'm like." Yeah, I guess you're right. Moral of the story is Shudogawa stole my passport to make a point. <laughs> yeah, that's a very, it's a, that's a. I mean, the, I mean, look, uh, it was funny. I did laugh. I, I mean, did he I also was, think it was funny? Uh, he he did it or to prove a point. Then no he's like, <laughs> then he's like, sorry if that offended you. He's like, but I thought it was gonna be kind of. He, he thought it was kind of funny to do this to prove a point. He's like, yeah, sorry yeah. if I offended you. I'm like, no, nah, it was funny. Uh, he's like the good thing though is that you did notice it immediately uh-huh. <laughs> that you didn't like leave the you train like station because um, that that probably would have pissed him off if I'd gone like a block and gone wait a minute yeah and you just like probably would have pissed him off more as if you then just like walked into the American consulate got a passport in like five minutes for, <laughs> right? for ten dollars and <laughs> and I like, got out of it fine yeah you're just like eh. that character on the TV show who's always just stumbling into success the care yeah well I mean that's kind of like what Americans are <laughs> <laughs> we just like screw up around the world and we're like we're fine right it's only now just catching up to us um uh what was it oh so i like to uh uh oh actually i'll tell you a couple things one is that i was in palm springs for a little mini vacation this weekend right and um basically like at a hotel and we knew some other people there and uh these friends of ours didn't know that i was like had an interest in magic and once they did they were like oh can you show us some magic uh and i happened to have uh a deck of cards there so i was doing some mnemonic stuff so you're comfortably using it uh yeah i'll tell you what i did i did a uh, i don't i just kind of like uh i kind of just bastardize other tricks that people that i've read i love it you can do my blindfold routine though uh except i can't do the blindfold part Right. Well, you don't need a blind. It was written without a blindfold. Yeah, I could do the, I could do the blindfold part. I actually have a on. way to do it. Actually, blindfolded. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'll teach it to you afterwards. Um, so I did a very simple, um, spread the card. I think I did this. I showed this to um Aaron, I, where I just like spread the cards, and they pull three a sequence of three out, and then I basically like guess the two first two and then use a third using this ollie mealing thing where you just like have them cut to cards and you try to make a cold read connection right, to it was wild yeah it's really fun it um, pulled me and it's like that For context yeah she picked two cards which we which i named i at that that day i couldn't remember the sequence so i was like john what's next in this right i thought you're doing a bit <laughs> no that was um, just me like, like a lot of times what happens is i'm pretty good with the mnemonic sequence and then under test pressure, of yeah course. like it just kind of goes away yeah. i'll just stare at a card and be like um i know that there's a stripper that's angry 
based on this card, but I don't know what she's angry the at. The spectator goes, what the fuck yeah. are you talking about? This is one of the stories. She's like, the stripper is uh, mad. She's opening up her heart and showing her DNA to someone. Oh, yeah, it's 23 because there's 23 chromosomes. And that's that's literally the story for the 23rd position. In the <laughs> John's disdain for this. Every bit of love I had system. for magic just went out the window. <laughs> This is another reason why this is our last episode. <laughs> um, so we, sh- I, she took three cards. Uh, basically, reveal right. the first two. Yes, you reveal the first two, and then for the third one, third one, I was like, I'm not quite getting connection. Maybe you can help me out. Just like cut to, I think unconsciously you're going to help me out by by what cards you cut to in this deck. Right. So you, she cut to a heart, and you're like, oh, that means it's red. Yeah. And then she cut to a. She had a nine of hearts, I believe. She cut to a nine of clubs. Right. She cut to and a nine like, Oh, so that means it's a nine. Yeah. And I was like, it's over now. Like, it's a nine of hearts. Like, basically, I ended it because I was like, I don't think I'm going to get a better clue on the third card. Oh, right. Because then she cut to a diamond. You're like, that means it's red. And then she cut to a nine. You're like, oh, that means it's a nine. So, oh, it's red nine. I think it's the nine of hearts. Yeah. And I was like, what the fuck? Yeah. So basically, it, all know. it is, the basic principle is you know what the card the person has. And you just have them cut to random cards, and you try to connect them to what their card is. Fun, uh, fun improv exercise. Um, I bet you would be fucking great at that. Well, that's what this, these are the kind of tricks. Like, it's not very hard sliding hand wise, but I can black. like I can make up bullshit like that. Because right. even if they pull three black cards, then you can be like, oh, I feel like you don't actually want me to get this, so right. I'm gonna go the other way. <laughs> um, so. I did one of those. That was fine. Oh, but one thing. So they're in this little crew, and what happened was, I started showing. Imagine showing one friend who's interested in magic, mm-hmm. and then having two other people come up who are drunk, who are not interested that much in magic, but are starting to distract you. So like, there's one enthusiastic, like, "Oh, I can't wait to see what this is," right? And then two random people that you kind of know walk up, but they're drunk, and they start like commenting on every part of the trick so far right i i did do some drunk magic over the weekend okay. and it was unpleasant so then you're going like you know hey take this sequence of three cards out of that. how come i can't why can't i just take three other cards from different it's like well you could and then i can't do anything <laughs> like right. it's just like you have to peek three times uh yeah i guess so but it was more it was more just annoyed because i was just and also the less enthusiastic person was talking to the more enthusiastic person. Sure. So the person who wanted to see magic occasionally was having to like have a conversation with somebody else and not even be watching what I was doing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but uh, this is all to say the tricks went fine. But the I will say the skeptic, the more the less enthusiastic person, he did mention. Um, he was like, "Oh, but you didn't shuffle the cards at the beginning. Like you, you all you do, all you do is cut them." I was like, "Oh, I never really thought." Like, you do a fair amount of false shuffles in the blindfold trick. Right, I think and, you have to. And I remember thinking, like, to my mind, and I think this is me knowing actually too much about it, to my mind, I was like, I don't really care. I think all the shuffles are false. Like, when I watch people do tricks, I'm just like, I none of these shuffles, I think, are real. <laughs> so, right. But it was interesting. A layman was like, well, yeah, but you didn't shuffle them. Sure. And then I was like, well, I don't know any false shuffles at the moment, so... That's Look, why I, I, I've definitely, and this is something I'm still working towards fixing permanently. I have ha- more than once had spectators very politely talk to me about the magic, get very excited, engaged about the how they think it was done um, after shows. And I don't if they're polite, and they're respectful, and they're excited about it. I don't mind. Yeah. I'm not going to be like, oh, how shitty. If someone yells it out, but if after the show, someone's like, do you mind if I ask you a question? Because I, th- I think I maybe like figured it out. 
but it's really cool if I'm right. Like that's super cool. And, I, and I'm, you know, and I and, and you're like, and I go, fuck you. You're like, a stranger's about to tell me that I'm super cool. I guess I'm, I'm going to roll with this. And I'm, I'm just, I'm just hard as a rock. Uh, and, um, and what do they say? Usually, well, one guy is very nice. He goes, okay, so, and, and, and granted, his way that I, he thought I was getting the cards was wrong. Uh-huh. So it was not complete. And I, and I told him, I said, well, you're not completely wrong. You're not completely right. And I did kind of where I left it. Yeah. Um, and then you threw a smoke bomb. <laughs> right. And then, I, <laughs> and then I was just crouching behind the bar, magic bar. I was like, I can still see you. <laughs> um, I had blue sand in his eyes. Yeah. <laughs> so what he said was, he goes, well, okay, so I think... If you had the card, if you knew the order of the cards, all right, and then when I cut and maybe you hold the cards, you can feel exactly how many I have, and then that tells you what card I cut to, and and I'm and that's partly right and that's partly wrong. Right. So I said, no, it's it is not. Uh, totally yeah, you're like, correct. no, I feel it by the weight. Right. I get, I know how many cards it is because I know precisely how much one single card weighs. Right, right, right. And I divide the stack by that amount. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so I said, nice try, dumbass. I remember as a kid seeing a magician like on 60 Minutes or something that was like, yeah, I know the, I can feel the difference between the weight of a face card and a, a pip card. Whoa. And like was sorting, he was just sorting the deck. And now I'm like, oh, that was definitely some bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that, was that person satisfied with your explanation? Um, I, 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 I can't remember how much I told him. Uh, again, I don't care that much about keeping my stuff secret. I was at the castle uh, when you did your show, and then a lady walked up and just said, like, how did you do that? And you declined to tell her. And I think it was something about the Sure, I'm nature. not going to tell somebody if someone just says, how do you do that? And I'm in the middle of the magic castle. I'm not going to be like, well, here are my lecture notes. Um, you know, if I'm I mean, a- you're leaving money on the table by not doing that, but go Right, <laughs> I know. I'm a terrible businessman. It, it was sort of the way she did it, because she was kind of like, she didn't present herself as I, I feel like with with you and probably most magicians, it seems a little bit like if you present yourself as like a student of the the art, that there's it's a little more amenable to people sort of talking shop. Whereas she was just kind of like, okay, that was cool, but like really tell me how you did it. Right. Like it wasn't it was a little sure. coercive. So um, I do not remember that, but uh, I mean I've, I've been through. that. I mean you were soused at the time. <laughs> yeah, as was, you are for all public shows. Here's a fun. Here is a fun um, fact, actually, to relax yourself. Alcoholics have figured this out. Um, but if you drink a lot before a pressured situation, it calms you down. Yeah. Um, so I and increases performance. <laughs> yeah. So what I've done is I will before most shows I will just uh, just a little just a little bit of heroin. Yeah. Just to it relaxes you. You know, it calms you down. I mean, look at the grades. Dennis Bear noted alcoholic. Noted alcoholic. Like yeah. folded it in. To his act mm-hmm. um, before all of his shows. Dennis Bear is uh, doing sexual favors to get drugs to yeah. calm him down. That's the, just a the, fact. He, I'm not trying to slander him. That's a fact. He has the world. a he has a routine in his close-up act where he's like, I can help. I can memorize the deck better when I'm on meth. Yeah, and he does meth in front of the crowd. Right. And you know what? It's a great trick, though. It is a great trick. Great he trick. memorizes those fucking cards. Yeah. And all those meth, uh, or I should say methods. Oh. <laughs> that's why they call them methods, actually. Yeah, because they're, yeah. they're fueled by meth. Great tradition of meth in the magic world. Yeah. I mean, most of those, I would say, are Ernace. Right. The, uh, Ernace noted uh, meth dealer yeah. in the Midwest. That's why he kept his name anonymous, because he yeah. wouldn't want to go to jail for all those uh, for all those meth sales. SW Ernace is so clearly like an anagram, like... It's so clearly just like no one has ever had this name. Sure. Oh well, that's a, yeah, that's definitely an anagram. Yeah. Um. The, uh, the one of the theories that I like is because back uh, backwards, it's um. Yes, Andrews. 
Oh, I would actually love it if it if the guy's name was W S or Nace. He's <laughs> like, this will um, fool him. Uh, so that's one theory is that it's just his name backwards. Actually, at Magic Live once a year, there one year once a year. Uh, at Magic Live one year, there was one of the little lectures they gave was an hour long historical discussion trying to figure out who Erdnays was. Uh, oh. It was very boring. I was gonna say, but who uh, the kind of fuck interesting. Cares. <laughs> Um, speaking of those things, uh, what were we talking about beforehand, by the way? I don't know, but I think I want to go to, we're talking about me doing magic for people that don't right. like it. I think I want to go to, um, that Columbus, Ohio one. Oh yeah. The one Harrison was talking uh, about. Uh, what's magic that called? Magic, magic fest. That's a vanishing ink. Oh yes. Uh, event. Yes, yes, yes. Because, uh, they just announced that like they, it's pretty cheap. Like right. the hotels are like one Oh nine a night, mm-hmm. which I imagine is cheaper than, than other ones. Magic Live can get those rates. Oh, really? Because they do it in the Orleans, and the Orleans, okay, it's off the strip. But that is an except. Most like IBM. Uh, yeah, that, Magic that Live is, a, is in August. Is that correct? Yeah. So I can't go, and I don't think you can either. Yeah. Well, this year, you mean? Yeah. Yes, I've actually canceled my Magic. I was subscribed. Okay. I was uh, registered to go, and I canceled it. Um, we got our money back. Uh, but uh, you know, that also means that the next few years. Like my my plans in August, my plans in August are dubious if we if I decide to go back to the fringe again. I mean, because the the crowds are going to be like, when are you coming back? And you're like, next August, and you can't see your magic live thing right. again. But instead, we're going to hit. I will maybe go to the Columbus, Ohio one, um, and the Blackpool one sounds fun too. I would love to go to a, uh, a convention with you. Yeah, I uh, mean, I will literally spend. Thousands of dollars, three thousand yeah. dollars at one of these things. It's going to cause a lot uh, of risk in your marriage. Although you get a discount sometimes, I think. What I've heard, yeah, seems like people are offering these like discounts at the table. Yeah, I just bought uh, a thing called El Hilo, okay, by Javi Benitez. Oh, um, because uh, love him. We were talking about Gypsy Thread last week. He has oh, is that his Gypsy Thread routine? Yes, his Gypsy Thread routine is fucking amazing. Yeah. As soon as we're done recording here, you're gonna make let me watch that DVD. <laughs> uh, yeah, sure. It's uh, it's interesting because I don't really actually know. I think we talked before that I don't know how any rope or string tricks actually work. Okay. Um, and I don't know how Gypsy Thread actually works, even though I have paid for and learned Gypsy Tape by Blake Voigt. Um. Which should clue you in as to how Gypsy Thread works, but even when I watched people do it last week, I was like, I still don't really know how this works. And then Javi Benitez's version, it's brilliant, uh, doesn't happen. He's not holding it when right. it happens. I remember it fooled the shit out of me when I saw it because I know how the Gypsy Thread works. I know when that switch takes place, and this was so clean. I knew I was gonna love it because the first time I saw him perform live, it was him and Miguel Angelia in the Peller together. Uh-huh. Fantastic show. And that was actually the week before I then saw them do like a two-day workshop in Northridge. Uh, uh-huh. The two of them did like this workshop on like the history and culture of Spanish magic. It was great. How did they end up in Northridge? Um, I don't know. There's a ma- magician member whose house he like. They, they, I, I don't know, but it was at someone's house. Oh, side uh, note: Palm Springs has no magic shop and no anything. I sure. emailed like a local rep of the their IBM ring or uh-huh. something like that, and he was just like, "We don't have anything." <laughs> so anyway, they're in Northridge. They're in Northridge. Anyway, so but at the show, I remember that was the first time I seen Javi perform. I don't even think I had seen his popular act, his FISM act that he got third place at FISM for. Is that what he did on Penn and Teller? Yes. Okay. Um, I was just going to say his Penn and Teller. I I love that act. Let's just cut that eyeball thing. That's just my suggestion, Javi. Uh, Love your gypsy thread. Cut that little weird little eyeball thing. (laughs) All right. (laughs) You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I do. (laughs) It's just like, what the fuck? So um, (laughs) at any rate, he... He starts. He, he he gets into doing the gypsy threat, and then the person sitting in front of me is Howard Hamburg, mm-hmm. uh, you know, famous 
mentor and teacher of magic and student of Divernon, kind of like the guy at the castle. So he's sitting in front of me, and he doesn't see a lot of shows. So if he sees a show, I know it's going to be someone he cares about. And obviously, I knew the show was going to be great. And then he leans over to somebody as uh, he starts to do the gypsy thread. And I had heard before the other gypsy thread, but I didn't know why. And he leans over to the person in front of me as he's starting, and he goes, oh, this is the one I was telling you about. Like, really excited. And I go, holy shit. Uh-huh. And I'm like, this is going to be really good. And it was amazing. I was – my eyes were glued to that thread. And uh-huh. it, he – I don't know how that happened. Yeah. It totally destroyed me. Yeah. Well, I have it now. But if I had gotten it at a convention – I could have gotten it for cheaper. In fact, in the convention video, one of the things that made me get it was in the promo for the the that piece. Kieran Johnson is in the video watching it. Kieran Johnson is the guy who did that Rubik's Cube uh, thing that I showed you. Yeah, which is uh, good. And so for him, it's always fun. I, I really enjoy seeing like well-established magicians enjoying other magicians. It's so much fun. And I think there's a there's a warmth to that in the in the field that i think is really cool yeah. like when you see it happen i i'm sure that there's a parallel world that i don't have access to because i don't really like where people fucking hate each other and like shit on each other in back rooms or whatever but the i think it's something about that like magicians knowing so much and then just genuinely enjoying being fooled again you know even though they know the how it's supposed to work and everything so there, there's something fun to see someone who knows a lot about something still get fooled mm-hmm. Uh, I appreciate that. And they made me buy it. Right. Good for that promo. Yeah. Um, so I go to Magic Apple and they have the little uh, bin of lecture notes that mm-hmm. you can get for $2. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to uh, bring up this one that I got recently called Ken Allen's Do-It-Yourself Lecture. And the inside is just blank pages. It's just like, fuck you. Uh, no. Uh, have you heard of, heard, heard of Ken Allen? I have not. This is... Uh, and, you know, when people make their own uh, lecture notes and they use Roman numerals... And then I have to figure out what year this is. MCMLVII. So oh, that's, that's 1936. Nine, is it really? No, I have no idea. 19L is 50, right? No idea. 50, Beyond like anything over 20, you lose me. I, mean, I think this is 1957. There was one thing in here that I wanted to... Oh, because this is the routine he says he's famous for. Because uh, I kind of like reading these and thinking about like, what would I do? How would I do this now? Um, like in that Precursor magazine, I was reading... There's, uh, like, uh, I guess, are there a lot of cards, uh, tricks that are compatibility tests between two people? Sure. That's um, a popular premise. So this is one that's, like, uh, involved, hey, you pick a, you think of a number, and when I deal these cards face up, don't tell me, but when it passes your number, remember that card. And then the, that's the, according to this thing, the wife of the couple. And then the husband Hey, you pick one of these cards. Chris, are you saying this. that a couple has to have a wife? I mean, preferably if you want to go to heaven. Um, <laughs> so then, I love teeing you up for that joke. <laughs> so then, uh, the husband picks a card physically, and at the end, the card that the wife is thinking of is the same as the card right. that the husband. Um, and so, while I was reading that trick, it required a, a peak and a cr- corner crimp. Okay, it required like basically like. You, I give you a couple of things in the deck, and while you're looking at those eight cards, I'm going to peek the top card of the deck mm-hmm. and corner crimp the second from the top. Mm. And I was like, I can't, I sure. can't do that. And also, it's funny in old books they don't tell you; they're just like, just do it the way, you know, right, the way you've learned and whatever. Um, 
uh, a fun exercise that I think you might enjoy doing. I'm actually going to challenge you to try this and then maybe talk about it on the next episode. Ah, is, squats. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, maybe some cardio. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> just think about it. I, that's all I'm saying. I want you to be healthy. <laughs> um, John, no, I don't do cardio because I don't run when I'm not being chased. Oh, magic reference. Does somebody just, have a pun where it's C-H-A-S-T-E? <laughs> don't run when you're not being chased. So don't run while you're having sex. <laughs> Oh, oh, I get it. Uh, not worth it. So anyway, what's the challenge? The challenge is, this is the thing Shoot talks about in his lecture, and it's sort of a fun exercise to get your creative mind going. That is, read an effect in a magic book. Do not read the method. Ah. Just read the description of the effect, put the book down, think about it for three days, try to come up with how you would accomplish what is described in the effect, and then go back to it and see how your method compares to theirs. If it's, if it's different, then maybe you've come up with your own way of doing it, and that maybe it works. And if it's the same, like maybe you're reading a Di Vernon book, you don't have to be discouraged. She's like, cool. I'm as smart as diver. <laughs> Actually, let me pitch you uh, uh, a what I thought of doing the compatibility test because I, I read this. Because I also, it's useful for me to tell you these things because you might just be like, yeah, everybody does it that way. Mm-hmm. Because I read this guy's compatibility test and I, I don't believe that I will be able to successfully corner crimp a card in front of somebody and then continuously cut to that crimp okay. over and over. So my idea was, I tell two a, two two volunteers that are a couple. I say, um, like, I think you guys are linked in a certain way, and and I have these two decks that I think are linked in the same way. And so I have these two decks to take them out of the case. And so for one person, and in this my version, it, they can both be the same gender. So this is one way that I'm updating mm-hmm. this trick. Okay. Is I well, so be- it's already defying God's law. But go ahead. <laughs> and so I think that I could do stuff like, um, you know. Tell me how many kids you want to have. And if they say three, I'm going to deal three cards down. Basically, a bunch of questions that end up in numbers for how many cards down in the deck I'm dealing. Mm-hmm. And I'm showing them that the faces are all different. And then uh, I ask the same questions to both sides. And then it turns out they've both, the numbers have brought us to the same card in both right. decks. Um, so the simplest way for me to do that is to just use two Popeye Poppers that are have the same force. Yeah. In um, so like... Is that a thing people do, or it is now? I I, I don't know. Has someone ever done that? Maybe. I, yeah. I, my my knowledge of that exact kind of routine and that exact usage of that method is not great. I I would say that that's the kind of thing where like I have a couple ideas of things I've used kind of like that. Where I've shown you like, hey, here's my sort of idea yeah. for this. Um, where. On one hand, while I have not necessarily seen it before, I'm not going to fool myself into thinking that I've just reinvented the wheel. No, I don't think you know? that I have either. It's like, mostly like if, like if I you were to it. release that, I <laughs> yeah. If you were to release that, my advice to you would not would, would not to be like I came up with this brilliant new way of doing this. Yeah. If I were to if I were to release that, I would say like, hey, here's my idea for doing this. I do not claim you know ownership of the Popeye Popper. I'm sure there may be some idea like this before. I haven't exactly seen it. You know. Um, I would release I, that at most as a blog post. <laughs> like right. I, I can pretty much guarantee I will never release anything sure. commercially because I would never. There seems to be such a burden to like go back and like there, when you buy stuff. A lot of times, a whole chapter of a DVD will just be like uh, references and sources. Mm-hmm. And I, I ain't doing that. I'm just fooling people out of their money. Oh, right. did I mention I charge a hundred dollars for this trick to right. each person in the couple? Do I owe you $100 for you telling me the yes. method? So in this Shit. old book called Do It Yourself, Ken Allen's it, um, there's a trick in here called, uh, this is the prize-winning monkey in a basket routine. Oh, yeah. Have you heard of this? I have. Everyone really? does it. 
everyone. <laughs> <laughs> Have you actually heard of this one? I do one. There's a monkey in a basket, and it's a lot of fun. People love it. Uh, this is a monkey in a basket that just like does card tricks, basically. It's like a little puppet that you put your hand in. It, it, th- there's no effort to like hide that it's a puppet, mm-hmm. um, but he does little card tricks. And the one thing he does is he blows up uh, a balloon uh, with the like the puppet blows it up with its mouth. Cool. And what you need uh, to do it is a called a blow balloon gimmick. Have you ever heard of this? Duh. <laughs> I tried to look for this and could not find it. I don't think it's a thing that's sold anymore. Sure. But I think what it is is a, a from the description, it sounds like it's a gas cartridge cool. that you put into like the monkey's mouth. And so then you can visually see the monkey like you can see a balloon blow up from the puppet's mouth. Cool. Which I think is cool. But like I was like, oh, this is cool. I have so- seen a puppet blow up a balloon. Oh, really? There's some uh, very well-known and established... Um, Puppeteers, marionette performers. I don't uh-huh. know what you'd call it. Is it you'd call that a puppeteer? Uh, sure. Yeah. Sure. And they'll perform at the castle. I mean, a couple times a year, someone with marionettes will perform at the castle. Right, I, call the, I also call them string dancers. Oh. Yeah. I call them fucking nerds, <laughs> right? Give me some. Oh, this is not the podcast for that. <laughs> Fist. Chris would left me hanging there. Uh, um. Anyway, so uh, but they actually they can put on some incredible shows. So I saw one a few uh, months ago. And there's a guy who did a 15-minute act, like three marionettes, and the marionettes all did these amazing things. Like one was a trapeze artist, and it was built in a way that it could like let go and swing on its legs. Oh. There was one that was Liza Minnelli in like an old lady's uh, costume for um, one of uh, one like a song that was playing a Liza Minnelli song. And then she, the puppet, actually takes off the outfit, and reveals like a classic like Liza Minnelli like red oh, cool. sparkly thing. Really, really cool. At any rate, one uh, I think it was. Um, I can't remember what the name of the guy. I'm really sorry. I know you probably know who it is, audience, uh, listening to this. But there's a um, puppeteer who has a uh, – I've seen one guy do it with a clown. Um, I think uh, – yeah, a clown. And he the clown blows up a balloon. And the way that one works is it's a tube going from the clown's mouth that goes up. The puppeteer's holding. And then he puts the tube in his mouth and he blows it. So oh, he's blowing cool. the balloon through this tube going down to the, in the clown's mouth. So then the clown ha- and then the clown can pinch it off and, like, hold it tight. And then he can hold it, and then like it kind of carries him away, and there's all this cool uh. mime. It's really amazing, actually. I would say a, a good marionette show does certainly have a magical quality that does, I think, place it in the right context of a magic show if done properly. Yeah, and... Uh, Same reason jugglers do well at magic shows. Like There's a f- magical feel to it that fits. So mm-hmm. long as at the castle, you still have a lot of magic to put around it. Right. Uh, I would say what doesn't fit? Uh, vape artists. No. <laughs> That's just going to be... I guarantee you, like... 40 years from now, there's going to be some old cruise ship magician that 10 minutes of his act is just doing vape, yeah. vape tornadoes. Um, I also wanted to share. Oh, so this blow balloon glue, I don't think exists anymore. Sure. And another thing I read in a 80s lecture note was saying that apparently at some point, bicycle decks, the Ace of Spades was printed incorrectly. Oh. So it was a trick about like. Uh, picking which card was an Ace of Spades. And it was like, look on the Ace of Spades on the little, uh, on the back on the bi- bike rider deck, there's a little notch where there's supposed to be a third stripe and there's not. Mm-hmm. And of course, I looked at mine and they, they fixed it since then. <laughs> um, fixed it since the 80s. Yeah. I wanted to uh, say that I went to the castle um, uh, twice last week. Oh, yeah. Your little dinner. And then I saw, uh, <laughs> it's a condescending way to describe it, <laughs> a romantic evening with my husband. Oh, you're oh, a cute little, uh, little dinner. Uh, and I saw the <laughs> palace show. Uh, oh, yeah. That looked fucking great. Which was uh, Danny Cole, is that Danny Cole, yeah. Danny Cole. One Stuart McLeod. Mm-hmm. Awesome. And Joel Ward. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you know Joel Ward? Yeah. He's like San Diego yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, SoCal. Yeah. 
Um, the uh, they were all great. I will like first of all, I love a palace show that has integration between the three acts. Oh yeah, that's that's what always makes for the best palace shows. Yeah, all my favorite palace shows do that. Um, I love that. Uh, they were fact, all great. I almost refused to do a palace show, uh, which is on my list of things I really want to do without that. Uh-huh. It's like I, I don't want to just show up and like announce to other performers. I want to do it with two friends that yeah, I can make yeah, material yeah. with. And I think they were great. The um, uh, I got to see Danny Cole's blocks in real life, Live. which okay, were great. Cool. How did that play in the palace on stage? Uh, it played well. Great. Yeah. I just, I didn't, I've never seen it live. I didn't realize it was big enough that it could effectively be done on the palace stage. Granted, the palace is a very small room compared this to is theaters. The only thing I would say about that, if you've seen the blocks, uh, Danny Cole's blocks on Penn and Teller. Or he just has a YouTube video of him doing it in his house. It looks amazing. Oh, right. It's like in his hallway. Yeah. Um, that effect, you have to be very careful with sound. And, I and it was a little bit. It's something talked during it mm-hmm. that gave it away, and Eric immediately clocked. Um, Eric didn't immediately clock what it really was, but he clocked enough. I I forget whose method or who mentioned like if they think they've seen something. What's that thing about like? If, I've heard it attributed to Di Vernon that if someone thinks they saw you do a move, you might as well have done it. Right. Meaning that. So that's kind yeah. of what happened. Was a, a moment happened in the block thing, and I knew it wasn't actually what the method was, but it was enough for Eric to be like, "Oh, it's probably this," and it I, it felt. And his his guess was similarly like I was like, it might as well have been that at this mm-hmm. point because, um, the magic of it is like ruined because of a of a sound issue. Is all right. I would say. Um. But uh, Stuart McCloud is so funny. Yeah, he's great. Have you, did you watch Barry and Stuart stuff? Uh, I watched some clips, yeah. They're great. Um, They're so, so I'd creative. never seen him before. He's really funny. He actually, there's one trick he did that is uh, almost similar to one of yours, oh. I would say. You ripped me off? Uh, well, I punched him at the, the end of the show. And I appreciate that. On your behalf. Um, and he has a lot of stuff. That he has a very funny one about uh, Find the P. In the cups, have you seen this? No, it's like three. I've metal- seen it in the parlor. I've never seen it in the palace. Okay, so it's this. three metal cups, and he's like, you know, find the green pea in this, and then. So I don't know if this is his piece or if it's Joel Ward's piece or if it's Danny Cole's piece, because then he goes, "Well, this will make it easier for you guys to see," and he takes three silver buckets behind this apparatus that's functioning like a big table, and he's like, "I've got three silver cups." And under one of them, I have a P. And he lifts it up, and it's Joel Ward with a green swimming cap on. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I'm the P. So like he then he did that routine, but with Joel Ward as the P. Right. Um, and it was really funny. And I was like, I wonder whose thing this is. Because right. all him and Danny Cole were involved with it. Right. Um, and it's like, if Stuart McCloud doesn't live in L.A. or the U.S., then it's like, you just came up with it for fun right. or is it Stuart McCloud's piece and he can sub whoever can be the P mm-hmm. in it. I thought that was really cool. Uh, it was a really great act overall. And, uh, um, also similar to rope and string tricks. I don't know how those vanishing boxes work. People just show up in an empty box. Right. I mean, I'm sure I could go look it up if I wanted to, but like, it's genuinely fooling to me. Like the show starts with an empty box and then like six people came out of it. Like cool. in sequence, like it was like a person comes out, the box is empty again. The box is on wheels. Like, it's not connected to anything. And just more and more people came in. I love that. Great. Uh, and then they had a pretty funny... And I don't mind revealing this joke because I don't think this joke will be in their act very long. The last thing they revealed was the M- Mueller report. 
<laughs> it was a f- file folder like hanging from a string, uh, which I thought was really funny. Really and I, I can't imagine like a year from now they're going to still do that joke. So it's right. not. The, and if you're in LA, you're not going to see them. Uh, and then Eric noticed that one person in the audience booed that joke. Ooh. So uh, it's like when uh, we were. I was waiting in line once for the parlor, uh, for the palace, and the guy in front of me who was reading Sailing Magazine. I don't know what that uh, is. Uh, a magazine about sailing. Oh, started okay. to talk to me and my friend about um, how great Trump was. Ah. Uh, unprovoked. You were in the parlor? Uh, wait, we were waiting for the palace. At the castle. Yeah. What did you do? Uh, I think we just... Were you polite? or were you just like, I was polite. I, did, I don't know why I was polite. Fuck you, and then you took a Chick-fil-A and you smashed it in his face. Yeah. Uh, and then I said, I married a dude. Over and over. Um, I did have a joke... I have a compatibility sort of test kind of routine. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've seen me do it. I don't think I have. Uh, I've shown you the trick, but I don't think I've done the routine for it. It's, a, it's, a, it's like a do-as-I-do routine where we both do the same thing and then we come up with the same card and the mm-hmm. same this. And there's like four different coincidences that line up because of the things we do. So the joke I've done is, and I'm looking for a way to change this, but, uh-huh. uh, but I'll just do it as I would do it and you can tell me what you think. Okay. And uh, this is how we work towards better comedy, people. <laughs> uh, don't steal this joke, though. Uh, Chris, I've, you and I, we've known each other for a while, right? Yes, we're probably pretty uh, compatible. I think you know we're we're, we're pretty uh, synced up. I think so. If we are, this trick will work. I mean, for instance, at this point in our friendship, we're always finishing each other's Same. trains of thought. Shit, uh, it's just sentences. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh, oh, or for instance, we have the same color, uh, same favorite color. For instance, on, on three, say your favorite color. Okay. One, two, three. Blue. Orange. Blue is also what I said. Uh, blue. Uh-huh. Uh, Okay, we're gonna try this anyway, and then that's and then that's yeah, that's good. That's it. I will. The finishing each other's blank is right. uh, is a construction that I've heard a fair amount. I haven't heard it end with trains of thought. What do you mean? Like I've heard that joke. Oh, sure. Yeah, the classic, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, We're always finishing each other's sandwiches. Right. Is the one I've heard a lot. Well, yeah, that's from Frozen. So then everyone started doing it. Is it really? Yeah. Uh, then where did I hear it from? Because uh, uh, I haven't seen Frozen, so maybe oh. I'm hurrying it through osmosis through yeah. all of the uh, teenagers that I hang out with. Right, <laughs> all those fifty. Chris, if you didn't know this, after um, around three o'clock, he just goes and hangs out at high schools. Yeah, uh, to get a youthful look at the world. Yeah, my mom got an Instagram last night. By the way, I just thought of a very dark joke that I won't say because I know that your mom listens to this. Fucking say it! I was gonna say like I see finding uh, leaving Neverland is more of like a guidebook. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Guys, uh, that's a joke. That's Mrs. Zicardo. I didn't mean that. I say worse things to her all the time. Oh. Uh, by the way, in Palm Springs, uh, I wanted to buy a photo of. There's a really great photo of Sammy Davis Jr. In Palm Springs. That oh, cool. I just thought would be great to hang in the house. And I was like, oh, I bet John's dad might. Do you know that my dad is in that Nixon photo? No. Yeah, it's in the back. Wow. No, he's not. <laughs> uh, do you know that your dad is, has actually been the caretaker at this hotel for a very long time? Right. Uh, my father's uh, original name is Richard M. Nixon. My dad's Nixon. <laughs> yeah. Now, um, there are some photos of my dad with Sammy Davis Jr. Uh, and George Rhodes, who was his conductor, uh, around the house. There were three or four of them. And I remember as a kid, I I said, to, uh, Dad, I was like in sixth grade or something. And I went, because Sammy Davis Jr. died in 1990. This would have been about 2005, 2006. I went, do you think if he didn't, if he was still alive, because he was pretty young when he died. He was in his mid-60s. Um, and I said, if you're still alive today, if you hadn't seen him in all that time, do you think he'd remember you? And my dad went, well, 
I saw him every day for ten years, so probably. <laughs> I went. That is fair. I would hope so. And that was, and that was when I understood the depth at which my dad worked with him. Um, my, but you know what? My dad is um, when there was the, the big LA Times story about Sam Davis Jr.'s funeral. My dad is in that photo with the funeral. Oh, cool. Yeah. Um, and you were the, yeah. that was nineteen ninety. You said I'm assuming you were not. Born. I was born in ninety four. Ninety four. Uh, that was Sammy. So was, you never got to meet him in any capacity. No, and Sammy died a few months after my sister was born. Who was born in April of nineteen ninety. Okay. Born. So I think this was like January, February of nineteen ninety. Uh, and then my dad played with him until he retired, which was in 89, when he just got too sick to be able to continue playing. <laughs> I thought you were going to say, I thought you were going to say, Sam Davis died in 1990. My dad continued to play with him until 96. Right. Um, he put those a weekend at Bernie's <laughs> style concert. Um, Audiences loved it. The uh, the I've been listening to an, uh, uh, do you know a musician named Billie Eilish? I've heard of her, but I've not listened to her. I've only heard of her for the last two weeks. She's incredible. She's really great. Cool. Um, And uh, she was born in December. I only know about her because she was on an episode of Hot Ones. Oh, yes. The show with hot uh, questions and even hot rings. Actually, she was was duller than I wanted her to be. Not duller. More boring. Is that better? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I like how you fixed it. Just to more directly say she was more boring. Um, uh, She was born in December of 2001. Oh, my God. Which means she's a person that was born after 9-11. 9/11. Like, that's oh amazing God. to me. Like, 9-11 to her is what, like, the Kennedy assassination is to me. Um, or what the Challenger is to me. Yeah, it's just something you kind of hear about, but right. you don't have a real emotional connection to connection the emotional. To I remember, I was seven years old, I remember watching it on TV that morning. I remember that day clear yeah. as, as But she's part everything. of this generation where it's just like, it might as well just be like the Lincoln assassination. <laughs> like, um, I did, that's fascinating to me. And she's, Yeah, when, when I coached high school mock trial... This uh, like a couple years ago, when we were auditioning these people, their applications were coming in and was saying um, how old they were. Yeah, and so this is like 2017. Uh, I'm doing this, and it's saying like 14 years old, 15 years old, like these freshmen or sophomores who are, are trying out. I'm like, wait a minute, and then like they're talking, and we're having like an intellectual conversation about like we're at, we're talking about like the law, we're talking about these things that I'm teaching these legal con- concepts, and I'm like, hold it, wait a minute, am I having like an intellectual conversation with someone who's born at like years after 9-11? Yeah. It was weird. It was trippy. Yeah. And that was the first time I was like, oh, I'm, I'm just like an adult now. <laughs> right. And you were like, am I losing this conversation? Am I about to lose this mock trial to a 14-year-old? Um, I didn't lose the mock trial. I did lose an arm wrestle. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, we've got this bonus episode with Shoot uh, yeah. that we're going to put out soon. And um, we got a couple guests coming. We got a couple guests coming. Well, that looks like the next few episodes will be guest episodes. We're going to talk about uh, putting my audition together and your yeah. August show together. Yeah. Uh, I, in fact, I will. This week, I'm going to email the castle as to what their audition schedule is. Cool, and we'll see. I love it. Um, so, I guess the reason why I was asking about that Popeye Popper compatibility thing is like, is that something I could do in an audition if I bullshitted my way through it? Like. I yeah, know. I should ask people that have actually auditioned for the adult program. I guess right. bit of a jab, huh? Bit of a jab. No, no, no. The junior program is harder to get into. Sure. Than the like, isn't it? I that's what. I, that's the idea. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I you know, the idea is because the dues are so much lower and the resources are a little more limited. Um, that there's less. Uh, less incentive to bring on lots and lots of people just for the sake of bringing on lots and lots of people. Yeah, I guess the people that I know that have been in the junior program, I consider as like, oh, those are real magicians. Sure. As opposed to, you know. Yeah, that's, I mean, we don't have jobs to. No, I go, I go around the castle saying, you're real, you're, you're a poser. Not real. (laughs) You're not real. Right. You're a poser. Uh, 
but yeah, I mean, when I auditioned for the junior program, um, I think about a third of the people that tried out got in. I think it was like 35 oh, people auditioned, and I think 13 of us got in. I wonder where the rate is for adults. No idea. Um, but actually, to your point, every person that they let in is about to give them like $800. Right. So that probably makes it more likely for them to be like, sure. And I don't know about that. Yeah. Uh, it's probably more than that now. No, yeah, definitely. Do you have any shows coming up? I do not. Uh, I have this Thursday Magic to Do right. at UCB, Friday Baby Wants Candy. These are not magic related at all. Sure. Uh, and then we do need to figure out at some point if we can do like a stand-up, uh, like a magic comedy show yeah. here in town. It's getting to the point. Well, I do want to think about it, but then it's like it's getting to be one of those things where it's like we're gonna get it. We're just gonna get it rolling, and yeah. then we're gonna have to leave. So yeah, I was thinking about maybe what if we just started that in September. Yeah, we could do that. Or yeah. it, another possibility is to find more hosts. Sure, that could handle it while we're gone. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll solve all that by next week. Yeah, but uh, should we announce where our guests will be coming up? Sure. Uh, we have at some point an interview coming with. Um, the man himself, Robert Ramirez. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's funny, Robert never tells me, he, he listens to the podcast, and I, ha- I had drinks with him last night, and I went, do you still listen? I went, the reason I ask is because we bring you up a lot, and sometimes in very big ways, and then I'm shocked that you haven't texted me uh-huh. about it. And he goes, I'm just making, because I've, I've told him, when we, as soon as we started doing this, I said I want to interview I want to interview you, and I wanted him to be the first guest we did, and that just unfortunately didn't work out because of scheduling. Because there were other people we preferred over. Yes, other people I liked. I want. I wanted a white man to be our first guest. Yeah. Um, and uh, check that box. Um, yeah. No, but uh, that was a joke. That was a joke. <laughs> Harrison was just in town that week, and we had to get him because of his schedule. Just yeah. so you know, that was Harrison that doesn't was live here. That's just why Harrison was in town for one week, and that was we had to do it. And Robert was out of town, and then I went out of town just so yes. you know. <clears throat> I might run for office one day. This is no, uh, <laughs> no, um, so yeah. Uh, he last night I was having drinks with him because he known I wanted to have him on for a long time, and I went like I definitely called you my number one snub across the board for like Magic Castle nominations, which is the thing I had not said to you before, and I and I did not hear from you. And he's like, I'm making a giant list of every time you bring me up so I can comment on it. <laughs> ah. like, the first five minutes of our episode will just be me. Um, he's um, commenting uh, on. He's John Armstronging us. He's, oh no, I hope not. Uh, John Armstrong went on Taylor's two magicians one mic. Oh right, and like had an, an extensive list of like complaints, <laughs> complaints <laughs> about. Uh, yeah, I think the episode was called like John Armstrong roasts us or something. Yeah, so you know, Robert. And then we have uh, we have an episode with uh, Taylor Hughes um, on the on the the old schedule. Yes, we're scheduling that because we saw Taylor Hughes' show uh, last week at right. Magic Castle, which we, we talked about last week. We yeah. both really liked, uh, and then I saw it again the, the next night, and then. Um, I don't know what to what extent Taylor wants to talk about this, but something happened in his show, and he was like, we should talk about it on podcasts. And right. I was like, cool, let's do it, um, which will be fun. I would like to – I uh, I have some ideas for how I want that episode to go that I want to pitch to you after this. But since yeah, we're yeah, not yeah. talking about what he what his thing is, I can't bring it up now, really, because okay, it's cool. related to that. Um, sorry for that weird glyphanger audience. But, yeah, but listen up. we got an episode coming with Shooter Gala, an episode coming up with Robert Ramirez, episode coming up with Taylor Hughes. If there's any other people – if there's anyone you think would be good to have on this podcast, uh, drop us a line at um, Setup Pod uh, Instagram. I would like to interview Bang Splat when he does his next audition. Oh, yeah, totally. Just, and so he can tell me – if I can do this fucking Popeye Popper trick since right. Junior Magician Ocardo has no opinion. <laughs> uh, yep. Either that or he has an opinion he doesn't actually want to say. Most of my tricks, I'm like, I feel like I can bullshit them to where they're entertaining. Right. 
even though the tricks. It just feels so difficult for me to admit that you should be able, you should be bullshitting your way through this audition. Well, by bullshit, I mean I'll, I'll, I'll just leave us with this, which is like some of the things that I've thought about doing. I've realized that in things that have more mentalism to them, not that that is one, but things that have more mentalism, like. When I show them to you, I'll just be like, well, and then there's just like bullshit, like cold reading stuff here. And then when you watch actual mentalists do them, it's like, oh, that's actually the part that's like interesting. Or that's the part that makes it feel like a full trick. Right. Is the part that I'm just going like, eh, blah, 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 right. whatever. Um, so, and I think it kind of reveals that sometimes the methods behind those mentalist things are either like pretty standard things or they're, the methods themselves are not super crazy. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, sometimes it's literally like, the the information was here and I looked at it is the method right. <laughs> you know like so there has to be like artifice around the rest of it yes whereas a lot of card stuff is just like holy shit you could tell me what you're doing and I can watch you do it and it's just cool to watch you do that yeah that's fair most mentalist stuff is like it wouldn't be cool for you to watch me do the method part of this right Simon Cornell has a theory about that which oh. I'll get into we have a couple minutes yeah yeah um, <laughs> he goes all mentalists are sociopaths. <laughs> Yeah, that's why that's why I'm leaning this direction. I think, and so he's his reasoning is, and is it because I, uh, they're like really good liars. He goes, well, it's sort of this. He goes, yeah, pretty much. He says, if I if you walk up to me and you ask me how I did a trick in my show, I can give you an almost completely on. I can give you a completely honest answer that just doesn't give you all the information. I can say, well, it's a little bit of sleight of hand. There's a little bit of misdirection, some psychology in there, some timing, uh, misdirection related to when I do things versus how I do them. You know, in timing and in transit with the jokes I'm doing mm-hmm. versus the movements. I can give these very honest answers about how it's actually constructed that don't necessarily give you the information you need to go home and go. He did this. But it's an honest, but they're honest techniques and they're honest psychological concepts that I use. If you're a mentalist and someone says, "How do you do that?" You have to lie to them. Mm-hmm. You just have to. There's no. You can't be like, "Well, you know, some of the." Otherwise, you'd just be telling them about a peak you did or whatever. Because so uh, the fact that like he's like, and I could not go through life just completely flat out lying about every single thing I do to every audience. He's like, I couldn't yeah. do that. He's like, so he goes, all mentalists are sociopaths if they're comfortable doing that to a huge extent. Yeah. I don't know that I would go that far, but it's an interesting concept. Um, Interesting. So, well, you hear to hear, mentalists are sociopaths. Right. Sorry if you are one listening to this show. Right. <laughs> a sociopath or a mentalist? Uh, well, I mean, if anything, if you're a sociopath listening to this, you should do mentalism. And, yeah, and you don't know what career to go into. Right, do mentalism. You're great at it. I think a lot of or people murder. Would I don't know. Uh, yeah, probably one or the other. Either way, you have to lie. A good mentalist is still killing. Am I right? Go on, give me some. Give me some for that one. Hey, we're going to leave John hanging on that one. (laughs) No. (laughs) We'll see you next time. See ya. Perfect. (laughs) 